After a health scare last week, Aaron Boone returned a few days later in the dugout with his new pacemaker. Speaking of health, we talk about the importance of health in the Yankees outfield if this team wants to fight for a title. We also are excited to chat with a former Yankees all-star outfielder. He made nine all-star teams, won a World Series, and hit 509 total home runs. It's Gary Sheffield. All that plus the debut of Q&J is next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All rise. Here's a Pinstripe Pod. The Pinstripe Pod is back as we get you through spring training. Every Monday, we are three weeks away from the Yankees opening up the season at home against the New Look Blue Jays. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts right now as you're listening. We appreciate that. We're excited to chat with a nine-time All-Star World Series champion, former Yankees outfielder Gary Sheffield. But later in the show, speaking of World Series champions, my co-host, God, I don't know how he does it. His hand must be so heavy. He's got four of those rings on his fingers from his time in the Bronx. Hello, Jeff Nelson. You must have a very strong wrist, whatever hand you wear those rings on. Exactly. And the heaviest one is in uh, 2000 when we beat the Mets, Jake. <laughs> is his mic on? He never Jake? he never fails to mention the 2000 World Series. He wants to break my nine-year-old heart all over again. <laughs> oh, God. Well, let's talk about some Yankees, Nelly. And, of course, the huge story this past week was Aaron Boone getting a pacemaker. And then he came back days later to be the Yankees manager. And that's something because, you know, we're talking about the history of the pacemaker, I did a little research. It's 63 years old. In 1958, only a few temporary pacemakers existed. They were large stationary machines. And once patients were hooked up, their world shrank to the distance covered by rolling tables and extension cords. Plus, they were prone to life-threatening infections along with the wires that protruded from their skin. So we've come a long way, Nelly. And the fact that Boone had this procedure and then in 48 to 72 hours, he was back with the Yankees. That's saying something about modern medicine. My goodness. Yeah. It's like going to the dentist and getting, yeah. getting a cavity filled, you know, yeah. you're, you're in and out, you know, I didn't even remember him having heart surgery back in what was he, what was the 2009, year? 2009. 2009. And then uh, we were teammates when I came back in 03 and then he hit that big home run against Wakefield to send us to the world series. But I didn't even know anything about that. And, you know, I thank God that he's healthy. He's a great guy, you know, a great communicator as a manager. And, you know, you saw the outpouring and how about the team gathering around because what Brett Gardner got everybody together and sent him some well wishes while he was in the hospital. So it's good, you know, back and, you know, hopefully the team won't give him too much stress this year and, <laughs> and maybe send him to the world series. Yeah. Well, we can only hope for that. And we just, we're just happy that Boone is back with the team and back in the dugout and able to see his team this spring as they march towards hopefully a 28th world series championship. And, and the crux of that Jeff will be, as we talked last week, the starting rotation. We got our first look at Jamison Tyone I'm using the Chris Farley air quotes here, starting. We saw him right. follow. We saw him piggyback Garrett Cole in his first outing, but he got his first start against his old team against the Pirates. And he said, you know, I drove 
to the park. He he was a member of the Pirates, so he knew where he was going. He said, I didn't need a GPS or anything. He was going down I-75, and he said it was kind of like going down memory lane, literally, coming off that second Tommy John surgery. He looked sharp in two scoreless frames on Saturday, Jeff. No, he did, and that's great to see. You know, after the first week of spring training, everybody, knock on wood, you know, everybody's staying healthy. The starting rotation starting to come through. Herman threw well. You had Montgomery has thrown well since – uh, his couple starts. Kluber had a couple of good, strong Kluber innings. Had a, Kluber had a couple of good innings. So pitching staff-wise, they're, they're looking great. And and that's the thing. You have to go through spring and try to keep these guys healthy. Like Tyone, you're probably going to limit him. He'll probably be, you know, at the start of the season, probably 75, 80 pitches. Maybe he gets to 100 by the end of spring training. But this is great to see. And it's all it's all baby steps. I mean, you have – Three more weeks until spring training. Nelly, can yeah. we hear? The, can we hear the literal knock on wood? Because the way you said that, and all the injuries the Yankees have dealt with last season on our debut season of Pinstripe Pot, I'm gonna actually need to hear the wood right now in the uh, sound effect. Let's see. All right, <laughs> now we're good. Just making sure. <laughs> that, that was, was like that was like the knocker from Young Frankenstein. Exactly. There was a line uh, one of the writers put in one of their columns today, and and I saw it, and I was like, you know what? That's a really good line. It, it, there's a fine line in spring training between getting too high or too low. You have to practice realism in spring training. So I, that's what I want to ask you. Being a former pitcher, Jeff, uh, being in these situations, you can't get too high or too low, whether it's somebody's doing really well or really bad, how much How much do you put into what you see here in the spring? I mean, you want to see some positive stuff, obviously, but when do you start to pump the brakes? Well, numbers don't mean really a whole lot to anyone. As a player, you know that, especially a veteran guy, you know what you have to do to get ready for the season, and it's just working on things, whether it's working on command. If you have a new pitch, you want to try to work on that, whether it's in the game or in the backfields. You try to do whatever you can to get ready for the season. And there's not a player in that locker room that ever thinks about health. I mean, that's our job and that's the media's job. And that's, you know, the coaching staff and the training staff is just, you know, holding your breath every time somebody goes out. Because if you look at this Yankee team, I mean, they're full of guys that had past injuries that have put them out a significant amount of time during the year. And so you just look for positives as you go through spring. You know, how's, his, how's the ball come out of his hand? I mean, if he, does his command there? How's he bounce back the next day? How's he feel? How's Tyone feel the next day? How's Garrett Cole feel? You look Montgomery. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that you just sit there, okay, the next day, how do you feel? Can they, when they go out, I mean, it's even nice to see when they get beat up a little bit in spring. You know, give up a few runs. You know, yeah. don't don't waste it. You know, don't throw goose eggs all the time. You want to get those demons out before the season starts and, and get beat up and, and work on some stuff and then be able to come yeah. back the next day and say, hey, you know what? I feel pretty good. And you can focus on the, the negatives and the negatives uh, are just the fact that guys like Kluber, guys like Tyone, they, they haven't pitched in a while or they haven't pitched much uh, over the past couple of seasons. But what the Yankees do have is a big blessing is a lot of depth in their rotation. They can go a lot of different ways, and they have guys who have experience under their belt from last year's 60-game season. So that's there, and that's something that is going to happen throughout the season. You're going to see spot starts here and there with their rotation. So the depth should help Aaron Boone and company there. But here's something else I want to bring up with you, Jeff, and that's the health of Giancarlo Stanton because we haven't seen that the past couple seasons. 41 games his last two seasons after he had that 38 homer year in 2018 in his first season with the Yankees. 
when he's healthy, when Aaron Judge is healthy, when Aaron Hicks is healthy, when those top four spots in the lineup could stay on that lineup card day in and day out, of course, with their days off here and there, but healthy days off, as they say in hockey, healthy scratches. You never want to be a healthy scratch in hockey, though. That means you're not playing well or the coach has something, you know, something's wrong. But anyway, with those four guys healthy and in the lineup, I mean, it, it makes Aaron Boone's job so much easier. Well, I think if everybody's healthy, I mean, they're probably the best team in the American League. There you but, go. You know, that's probably not going to happen. At, at some point, some of these guys are probably going to go down. You hope not. Expectations, you talk about expectations, and that's with everyone that's had some problems or injury problems that have put them out a significant amount of time. And, and one of them, Stanton, you know, you look at Judge. I don't know what you expect. You, you know, I don't say, hey, you know, this is a year that he can stay healthy. You know, they do everything they can to try to keep this guy on the field. And most of the time, it's going to be at the designated hitter role. He's not going to probably play outfield very often unless he, he comes to him, say, maybe once every couple of weeks you see him out in left field. Uh, but you want to keep this guy healthy and the same in spring training. And it, so I think to fans, if, if something happens to a, a Stanton, they're not going to be surprised. Like, oh, you know what? He's hurt every year. So I think expectation wise, you just say, hey, let's see how, how far he can or how long he can stay healthy. I think with 60 games last year, I think it benefits everyone. You know, I think it benefits a Stanton or a Judge or even a Cole or Tyone, these guys that, that only threw what? 20 to 25 innings or had what 100 and 200 at bats i think it definitely helps them so going into this year it's almost like it's a refresher so hopefully they can stay on the field and you see 140 games 150 games out of stanton i'm knocking on wood too yeah i, I just want to cover the bases here um <laughs> but yeah if they're healthy jeff i agree with you a, a thousand percent the Yankees are the best team in the American League. Okay, no news is good news, as Gary Gnu used to say. Kids, Google it. Coming up next, we debut our Q&J segment. Very excited about this, where uh, Jake, our producer, and I, we uh, rattle some questions off about Nelly's career. That's next right here on the Pinstripe Pod. It's now time for me and producer Jake Brown to dive inside the brain of my four-time World Series champion winning reliever partner, Jeff Nelson, in the debut of our segment Q&J. And uh, I'll go first. Jake, Nelly, what was your favorite thing about coming to the Yankees when you first came on the team in 1996, whether it was about the city or about the team or about the experience as a whole? Oh, uh, it was an interesting story because I got traded when I was on a Mariner caravan. So I had a last, I was promoting the Mariners and I was the last day I was in Alaska, in Juneau, Alaska. And, oh my God. Yeah. And I, I got called, it was Tino Martinez, myself and Mike Blowers. We were all eligible for arbitration. And they said, well, one of them will have to go. And they already traded Blowers to the Dodgers. So we thought we were safe. And we were going to come back for another chance to try to go to the World Series because we beat the Yankees in 95. And then I got a call when I was in my room in Juneau, Alaska, and Bob Watson, the late Bob Watson, called me and said, we just traded for you. And I always loved, as a visitor, pitching in Yankee Stadium, the craziness. The fans were crazy. I mean, it was you couldn't help hear them say all kinds of different kind of explicitive words to you. But... You know, I was just I was just excited. You know, I, I grew up in Baltimore. I wasn't a big Yankee fan. I was an Oriole fan. Didn't really like the Yankees as a Mariner. But when I got traded there, it was just it was unbelievable. And, and then when I go to spring training, it was the first year for then. And now it's Steinbrenner Field. It was Legends Field that, back in 1996. 
to put on the pinstripes, you know, once I went out my first outing, I was really, really nervous. And I've never felt that before just by putting those pinstripes and what the history meant. Nelly, I'm curious, what made Joe Torrey Joe Torrey? Prior to coming to the Yankees, he never won. He was never a winning manager. He had a job for a long time, never won a World Series, never won a division. Didn't really do a ton. Comes to the Yankees and you guys become a dynasty. Did something change about him? Was it his demeanor or was the team just stacked and he just had a great roster? All the above, you know, it's, he had obviously had a great team, but it was his demeanor. You know, if you look at the past managers that the Yankees had, uh, you look at Billy Martin, you look at Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter was a, a calm guy. He wasn't overly, you know, Lou Piniella, those and Billy Martin, those guys, they, they wore their, their feelings on their sleeve and they really showed their feelings all the time. Joe was just really laid back. He was such a great manager, but the media back then was so tough and the fans were so tough. Mr. Steinbrenner was really tough that he took all that away from the players. I mean, you get managers now or back then and said, oh, you know what? I can't answer that. Go to the players. Go ask them. I mean, you know, what am I supposed to do? Ask them. He took the media away from us as far as not having that added pressure. Going in, it was just fun to come to the locker room every day because he was just so calm. I mean, he had confidence in everybody. He knew the guys that did the job, what, to, what, you know, when to put guys in and, and left the starters in, you know, as long as he could. I mean, we had great lineups, great bench, but he just made the – the time in New York, a stressful, most uh, probably the most magnified place in sports, the most magnified team in sports and owner, uh, just a calm place to play. And, and it was really easy coming to the stadium every day. It, it seemed like, Jeff, George was uh, the yin and Tori was the yang. It's like you had that perfect mix of someone who wanted everything out of you in Mr. Steinbrenner. And you had Joe Tori who would deflect all that stuff and kind of keep that out of the clubhouse. But was there an, ever any time you said, Mr. Steinbrenner, you know, we all know he wanted to win and we all know that the, the type of owner he was, he expected the best every day. Was there any story of Mr. Steinbrenner maybe coming into the clubhouse that you remember where he was tough on anyone in particular? He was tough on everyone, but he, you know, he was, and I always, I had Lou Pinnell out in Seattle and I always tell him that he was the reason why I had success in New York because Lou was tough to play, play for, you, you know, he really, I mean, you didn't look in the, in the dugout if you walked a guy, I mean, he would really <laughs> let you have it if, if you weren't doing well and you had to have thick skin. So, you know, going to New York, it was okay. You got to have thick skin to play in New York. I mean, you can't listen to the media, listen to sports radio stations. You, I mean, you're, you're going to mess up and they're going to boo everyone. So they don't single anyone out. And Mr. Steinbrenner is another guy that he tests guys and see how they were going to handle New York. I mean, he would come up to him and obviously he's an intimidating figure. He would come up to him and, and, and basically you had to stand up for yourself. I mean, not get into it with him, but show him the confidence that you can succeed in New York. And a lot of guys would fold up. You know, Kenny Rogers was a, a great example. I hope we have Joe Torrey on the podcast because I want to ask him some questions, you know, just about Mr. Steinbrenner and how that interaction, because nobody really knew uh, what went on behind closed doors between them. But he would go up to Mr. Steinbrenner would go up to Kenny Rogers all the time. And, and especially in the playoffs. And, you know, when we were in 96 and he would say, Hey, listen, you haven't given me much during the season and you're not doing very well during the playoffs. He said, I got to have something out of you. I paid you all this money. And he was a guy, Kenny Rogers was a guy that would crawl under a rock and, you know, he went out in the division series, didn't do well. And then same thing in the ALCS went up to Kenny. He said, listen, he said, when are we going to 
see the Kenny Rogers that I paid for. He says, you did great in you know, Texas, but what's going on? I mean, he probably said a few other things that you can't, <laughs> but you know, he would do that type, type of things to players. And, and he was around all the time in spring training, but during the season, he was only up during special days, you know, whether it was the Red Sox or whether it was uh, a, a promotion day, old timers day, or if you played the Mets when we started playing our league play, you know, that's the only times that you really ever saw him. But, you know, it almost you knew he was there. You felt that, you know, I guess you're, you're, the hair on guys' backs would raise if they were intimidated by him. And you remind me, Nelly, as the last one for you here of nightmares. My first nightmares as a Mets fan were caused by Kenny Rogers. When I first became a fan of the 99 playoffs, <laughs> he walks in the game-winning run to send the Braves to the World Series. Yeah. So yeah. the Jake's eight-year-old heart was breaking then and still breaking uh, 23. Well, it carried over to that side because he didn't do well against the Yankees either. I mean, he was a great guy. He just, man, he just, uh, Yankee Stadium, and Mr. Stein, everybody, they're just too intimidating for him. All right, last one before we talk to Mets legend Gary Sheffield um, in his one season. <laughs> the one-year wonder. Hitting his 500th homer in the first year of City Field. Always remember that. Um, last one for you, Nelly. Did, did one title mean more than the others? Was it the first? Was it the end of the three-peat and, and beating my Mets? Was there one title that stands out the most to you? They were all great, and obviously 98 was unbelievable as well. Uh, but, yeah, it, the 2000 was my favorite, just because you played the Mets. And, you know, the Mets, just like Jake, when you were talking crap last year about uh, the uh, inner, you know, Subway series, the Mets do a great job of, of talking a lot of smack in the paper and, and, you know, them winning in five games. The Yankees are old, and, you know, we kind of backed into the, the playoffs anyway that year. But playing, you know, nobody else cared in the United States, but just being in the city and watching two houses, a Met fan, Yankee fan, and just, you know, didn't have to travel very far for your road games. But that was my, that was my favorite. And obviously winning and obviously, you know, talking smack to all the Met fans like Jake that need to be reminded who's the kid <laughs> in Manhattan. He, he was getting steak dinners back in 2000 before me. There you go. There you go. All right, Nelly, why don't we talk next with an all-star you may have faced a few times in your career. That would be Gary Sheffield next on the Pinstripe Pod. He spent three seasons with the Yankees from 2004 to 2006. He was an all-star in 2005, nine-time all-star in his career, the 1997 World Series champion, of course, with the Florida Marlins, five-time Silver Slugger Award winner. You could follow him on Twitter as well. It's Gary Sheffield. His handle is at Gary Sheffield. Chef, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, giving us a couple minutes today. Absolutely. Glad to be here, man. Growing up in the Tampa area, Chef, what made you fall in love with the game of baseball? What was it specifically? Well, you know, I come from a baseball family. You know, my granddad, you know, his dad, his brothers, they all played. They weren't allowed to play Major League Baseball. And, you know, they lived through us. When I was growing up, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a neighborhood where they had famous boxers, you had famous football players, you had famous baseball, basketball, all on the same street. So everybody always was playing sports. And then when you have a famous uncle, you know, that everybody looked up in the neighborhood, I mean, you know, it was kind of like, no brainer, you're going to do this. And so I took the abuse all my life from my uncle, you know, of, of, of <laughs> not being to hit him and him doing me any kind of way he wanted to do me. And... <laughs> you weren't the only one, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> and so... 
taken that for so many years, you know, and, and, and what he was doing was he was preparing me for something and and I'm all, I'm so grateful that he did. And that uncle happens to be Doc Gooden, by the way. But what was it? Did you ever face him in the big leagues? Did you ever face him in the pro ball? Well, I did a couple of times when he, when I first faced him uh, first time, and I was with the Padres, and I was having a magical year, and I I just so am you know like okay, this is the moment, and you know I hit a, I hit a base hit off of him, and then he, he he never struck me out. But I got my base hit, and then next at bat I hit it over at the Big Apple and dead center field, and uh, I got robbed for my home run. So that was that was my all-time greatest highlight. But you know like, they robbed me, so I you know I just leave it at that. But I, I took him deep in spring, so I, I make it count in my book. <laughs> he 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 was just four years. He's he's just four years older than you, Chef. And Mel Stottlemyre, the late great Mel Stottlemyre, said. There will never be another doc. I had coached for a long time, and he had more talent at 19 than anyone I have ever had. So I have to ask you, growing up with him around you and pitching to you, it had to be unbelievable for you to, to be able to sit there and 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 have him pitch to you as you're growing up and, 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 and wanting to be a baseball player. What was that experience like facing him when you were younger? Well, for me, it was miserable. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, he used to come home, and uh, my granddad, he always trained my uncle and myself and my little cousin, Derek Pedro. You know, he was preparing all of us for something, and when Dwight uh, made it first, you know, he, he was just my uncle. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I was a, an R or anything like that, amazed at what he was doing. I've I seen him a million times. And, you know, he was just my uncle that, that, that we did everything together like brothers. But the miserable part was is that when he come home for those four months, nobody knew how to catch him but me. And I had to catch him. Huh. And, wow. and <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, we're going to go way back, you know, way back with I think your second year in the minor leagues when you were in Stockton, the Stockton ports. I was in Salinas. And you were with Daryl Hamilton. I remember you were at shortstop back then. And I think you, there were the clubhouses were, I think, out in left center field. I think you had to walk across a diamond or something in Stockton. And you were, uh, I remember, we used to have reports and stuff, and it, was, it wasn't fun facing you. And I remember, I think you hit a home run on top of, the club, on top of those clubhouses against us. But that, that California league was fun league. I mean, they had a lot of good players then. You know, when when I think about that, I was like amazed of this one one guy, Omar Vizquel. Yeah, you he know, was because, in Salinas with us. Yeah, yeah, in Salinas. You know, I I remember. You know, everybody's always trying to tell me, you know, clean up your errors. You know, you'll be in the big leagues right now because your bat is ready. And I remember, like yesterday, it's like I really want to uh, talk to this guy, Omar Vizquel, and kind of get help from him at shortstop because the truth be told, you know, we never had anybody teach us how to play shortstop. We was, I was just playing shortstop and I'm two years out of high school. Well, a year out of high school and I pitch when I didn't pitch, you know, I, I'll play a little bit of shortstop, but it, it was, I was such a good hitter. You know, they always put me in the best position. So, you know, I wanted to one day have that moment with him and, and really like understand what, what the position is all about and you know and I think back at that stuff and say man what could have been if I would have got that opportunity 
Chef, you you always knew that you belonged in the majors, but I want to take you back to April 17th, 1989, your rookie season. You were 20 years old. You're facing the Texas Rangers, and not only facing the Texas Rangers, you're facing Nolan Ryan as a 20-year-old, and he could not get a fastball by you. No matter what he tried, 96, 97, he dialed it up more. You were fouling it off, and you were pulling it the way <laughs> Gary Sheffield, <laughs> everybody remembers. You know, you're pulling it foul down the line. You're hitting home runs foul. No matter what he did, he couldn't get you out. You walked three times in that game. What did that now knowing that you belong anyway, but what did that mean to you with, with that game against Nolan Ryan that day? It was just like facing my uncle all those years. It was nothing different. Like I said, you know, he was preparing me for something, you know, he he intimidated me, he beat me up, uh, he hit me with the ball, he did everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to I used to run in the house crying to my granddad and my granddad had tossed the ball back outside, like keep playing. And I was like, this is miserable. This sucks. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as a kid, you never understood it. And when I stepped out there and faced Nolan Ryan, you know, of course, I was like everybody else. I was like, wow, this is Nolan Ryan. And I, I, I watched him on TV. I listened to him on the radio. I mean, wow, this is crazy. And uh, But something stood out to me, you know, that my granddad always told me. He said, you know, you know, you're going to face famous people. You're going to face famous guys. But the one thing you have to remember, you can be starstruck. But when that game starts, you got you to dial in. And that's all I did. I just remember. I said, that's Nolan Ryan. This is cool. All right, now, duck if he throw at your head, but be ready for the fastball. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you- I know going through reports in the big leagues, you couldn't go inside far enough. It's almost like you had to hit, you had to, you had to get hit. And, you know, it's like, don't go inside to chef. I've seen you pull balls over the third base dugout out of the stadium. How'd that come about? I mean, you started, I remember that in, you know, when you were in Stockton back in the minor leagues, you could not throw you inside far enough. How did that develop? I mean, how'd that come about? You know, what, uh, uh, Nelly, you know, like, just like your, your slider was just, you were so gifted with it. It was just, it was just nasty. I don't think anybody ever hit it. Really? Did they ever hit it? Sometimes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and playing you know. in New York, you would let you. They would. They would remind you about it. Yeah. 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 That's true. But you know, it's it's just one of those things where I never thought about it. I think that was the key for me. And I, I and when I work with kids now, everybody worries about the inside pitch, and it makes you susceptible to everything else and really it's the opposite for me i didn't like the ball inside i didn't want the ball inside i wanted the ball where i can extend my arms to hit a home run you got to understand I, I i knew i had a gift of a bat speed i knew I, could, I had a fast bat i can get balls i can get the bat to the ball I, I didn't have that problem i didn't worry about it so my only thing was i want to look away i look middle away and i look middle away all the time I never just look inside and I, I, I felt like if I looked, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I look for one pitch, I look for one pitch, and I look away. <clears throat> and what that does is it allows hitting to become a lot easier. You know, I talked to Barry Barnes, I talked to a lot of great hitters, and everybody had a different philosophy of hitting. The, the one that uh, Gary said, he'd sit on breaking ball every pitch. Well, nah, I mean, I mean, I, I that's 
that's questionable. You know what I mean? Uh, when guys throwing hard, that hard, and you're looking breaking ball, and you saying, I hit the fastball looking breaking ball, that's questionable. I mean, but when a guy tell me, I had a, a thought that he might throw a breaking ball, but I was that's more so on the line of hitting. You get, you you have to look hard stuff and make the adjustment on the breaking ball, but you have to know what the breaking ball do, and you know have to know the action of the breaking ball. And if you can kind of figure that out on on deck circle, then hitting becomes easy. And that's that's how I looked at it, you know. And and it was just I hit one pitch and I don't miss it. And if I miss it and I'm out, why am I mad? Because I missed my pitch. And that's how I break down hit and I keep it simple. Yeah, well, you made it look very easy, Chef, throughout your career. They talk about bat speed now and they have the exit velo. One of your former managers said that you could turn on a 38 caliber bullet. So I have to I have to ask you. I have to ask you. You see all these exit velocities now. I would have to think that your exit velocity would be about 200 miles an hour. I mean, if these guys are getting clocked at 118, I've seen some of your foul balls buzz the third base coach's box where their life flashed before their eyes. So if you had had to take a guess, what do you think your exit below would be? I don't even know nothing about exit below, to be honest (laughs) with you. I I don't know if you can hit a ball harder, you can throw it, or you can hit it. You know, the opposite, I don't know. You know, when you see guys like Aaron Judd and Stanton and all these guys and Dave Winfield, I believe all those guys hit the ball harder than me. I, I really believe that. These guys are so big on I do. I really believe that. I, I'm i not joking. I, I just believe bigger guys and stronger guys hit the ball harder. Now, you know, for me getting to a pitch after the day, Winfield and Judd and all those guys, yeah, I'm a lot quicker to the ball than, than all those players. But the strength that these guys have, that has something to do with the exit, exit velo. And so I think I'll be somewhere in the middle and I wouldn't be too far off of them, but I'll be below them, I think. What do you think about today's game? You know, is there a guy that you like watching or is there a team that you like watching? Is it, is it a lot, obviously a lot different than we played, but what do you think about the way the game's going now? You know, Nelly, you know, I, I've been concerned a long time, but that's why you don't really hear me make a lot of comments about it. And, I, I just believe that I'm not going to be that old player that's mad at everything they, they do. But I, I really took a lot of time to really understand, you know, this whole thing. And and I look at it like, imagine growing up with an iPhone. Imagine growing up with everything is touch and go. You know, that's the world that these kids are living in. Why older players have a problem with it? Well, you know, so that's why I try to understand this generation, I have boys, and it helped me out. And it, that's the reason why I was interested in understanding it in the first place. I have young boys, and my boys think like today's players, and they act like today's players. Everything is, I want it now. I don't want to say, I don't enjoy the process. I want to go through it, and I expect to be here. And when I watch the game, it's swing and miss and swing and miss and swing and miss. And then, boom, a home run. Why is it exciting? Because the ball went over a fence. It's not exciting no more to watch a home run go over a fence because you just struck out three times and left six men on base. And so, to me, 
I know I know you're a pitcher, and you want a guy to drive in the man on from second, and you want a man that so you can come out there in the middle of the uh, game and shut that inning down and give the ball back to your closer and and moving. There's a lot of strategy in it. It's, that's no more. Ball's juice in the game is a lot different uh, today. Chef, it's Jake here. Now, they always rip on me for being a Mets fan. You did hit your 400th with the Yankees, and then you hit your 500th with the Mets. Did those two, you know, milestone homers – mean anything to you doing them both in New York the Mets at age 40 as a pinch hitter I remember the game against the Brewers in April I think it was a Friday night I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday but I remember that moment um did that mean did that mean anything to you chef oh yeah man you know I I just wish my granddaddy was alive to see it and uh you know that was my only goal in life and because my granddaddy said I was going to do this when I was probably uh 16 16 years old, he told me, you're going to be a 500 home run guy. I mean, I wasn't a stat guy, to be honest with you. I just was a guy that loved the game and just felt like, you know, between my granddad and Doc, you know, they put me on this pedestal of, of a great player. You're going to be great at this. You're going to be great at that. I was like, well, like I told you, Nelly, it, it sucked being a kid and being up on the dock because, you know, they were pushing me for something. You know, they was building building up something. And that's why that moment was so special because, you know, not only that I achieved something with the Mets and I achieved something with the Yankees and and. and and that was my uncle played for those teams, and that's why I wanted to do it for those teams. And, and I wound up doing it, man. I just wish my granddad could have saw it. I can't speak for Nelly. I can't speak for Jake. I could speak for myself. And I, I was witness to your entire career. Your, when you got your September call up in 88, I was 15 years old. So I was locked in for your entire career. I think you're a, I think you're a Hall of Famer. Do you think you're a Hall of Famer? Absolutely, man. You know that Nelly could tell you I – I was a guy that didn't mess around for those three and a half hour games, you know, and uh, and I and I could look on his face when he pitched. He played the game the same way. He was a no nonsense guy, and I was a no nonsense guy when I competed. But that don't justify the person. I, I used to ask my uncle, and my uncle would say, you know, that Nell is one of the greatest guys you can be around. And so, see, people don't know about other people. They usually go by what somebody say. And so you can easily watch Nelly play a game and say, man, this guy's mean. But, you know, talking to my uncle, he's the nicest guy in the world. You know, I would have never thought that. <laughs> but but that's, the, that's the part about the game that these writers take personally and really don't take into account. We're out there just competing. And when you're out there just competing, you, should, you shouldn't take it personally. You know, it's it's just the way I had to do it to get what I needed to get done. You know, when I walk away from the field, I'm nothing like the player that I when I play. You know, I talk to people, I I laugh, I'm funny, I do all kinds of things. But it's that I can see where you know it can rub people the wrong way in my personality. But I wanted to be that way because I wanted to do everything I could to piss off a pitcher. I wanted to do everything I could to make that pitcher give his best because I want to know what was I the best. By you being pissed off at me, you're going to compete against me harder than you ever compete against anybody else. And that's what I did on purpose because that's what I wanted, your best. And I so with that being said, no doubt I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm a Hall of Famer if I'm in it or I'm not in it. Anybody that walk around that's in the Hall of Fame, they – understand when they're around me they have to treat me like a Hall of Famer because they played against me 
they don't get to walk around me just because they was awarded something and then act different because, oh, I'm a Hall of Famer. You're not. No, it don't work like that. They know who better and who was the best. And that's how I look at it. I agree. I, you know, I, I, you were one of the guys that I wish I was a teammate of and I wish we played together on, on whether it was the Yankees or wherever. I, I always uh, wanted to be on your side, obviously. But yeah, you were one of the most feared players in, in the game. And I absolutely think you're a Hall of Famer. And I think that you're going to get that call one of these days and, and uh, you're going to get what you deserve. You should be in the Hall. And uh, you were one of the greatest players that I've ever watched. I remember back in Milwaukee, minor league days, even when Milwaukee was in in the American League. And then we started playing interleague when you were in with the Marlins. You got to win a World Series and just came shy a few a few years of the MVP award, finishing second and third. But you were one of the greatest players playing infield, outfield, designated hitter that I've ever witnessed. And and Chef, I'm sure you're going to get that call here very soon. Man, that means a lot, Nelly. Man, I appreciate you, man. And uh, my uncle used to talk about you all the time. Doc's the best. I, I love Doc, man. I, I I see him a lot, and and he's he's an awesome guy. You're you're very lucky to have him as an uncle. Yeah, I was, but not as a child. It was miserable, but I got through it. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I've actually pulled up the stats for Gary Sheffield versus Jeff Nelson. Career stats, crack research staff here. Four at-bats, two hits, one walk, one strikeout. So two for four against you, Nelly, and five at-bats. So so he got his, I got mine. There you go. (laughs) Two singles, two singles. There you go. 50-50. There you go. I'll take the singles. There's probably probably some bleeders or something over the shortstop head, so it wasn't very (laughs) – Hey, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure. Hey, but like they always just tell me. We know you didn't bust them in, Nelly. We know you definitely didn't bust them in. Chef, one more thing before we let you go. Just got to get your thoughts on this current Yankee squad. You know, the the starting rotation, we talked about it last week, took a hit with Masahiro Tanaka going back to Japan, and they lost a couple others in Jay Happ and James Paxton. They're trying to fill those holes with Jamison Tyone and Corey Kluber. Tyone's coming back from his second Tommy John. Kluber has only thrown under 36 innings the past two years. What do you think about the Yankees' prospects this year in the American League? Well, they got a young guy that's going to anchor the staff. But, you know, when you talk about uh, Garrett Cole, um, he's a guy that's going to uh, uh, stabilize the top of that rotation. But he's going to be able to help those young guys with those great arms along the way. And, and Severino and all those guys need to come back and prove that they're worth what they say they're worth. And uh, if they do that, they'll be fine. But, you know, what? It's, it's the guys that, you know, that's question marks. If they become – if they're questions now and they become questions later, then you're going to see all their weaknesses show up. But um, if guys are healthy, which are the veterans, Uber and all those guys, and if they can come and give you probably 80% of themselves, then I think that's plenty good enough with what they have as hitters. Uh, but other than that, your weaknesses will show up at some point, and uh, hopefully that, that don't show up with them. Yeah, over 162-game season, you're going to get that here and there. Chef, I got to tell you, it was a pleasure watching you throughout your entire career, uh, one of the most feared and one of the most gifted hitters. And, you know, that goes along with the territory when your pitching machine growing up is Doc Gooden, by the way. But uh, it was such a it was such a pleasure uh, watching you throughout the years, and it was such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for the time. We appreciate it. I gotta say, I gotta say this uh, because the late Tony Gwynn, his wife Alicia Gwynn, just came, flew in to see me, and she got this show coming out about her husband. 
uh, the late Tony Gwynn, and um, and I tell you, man, I used to call him Pop, and they reminded me of this stat man Tony Gwynn had, and I, they don't they they trying to find out if anybody ever accomplished this two hitters in a lineup. Tony Gwynn hit second. I hit third, and that year Tony Gwynn hit three eighteen. I hit three thirty, and I won the batting title. I hit thirty thirty three home runs. I think Tony Gwynn hit seven home runs. You know how many strikeouts we've had total between the both yeah. of us? Yeah, yeah, you're. It's like twenty <laughs> something small, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It was like I never thought about this. It blew my mind. I think combined because we was talking about today's players. And I had 33 home runs. I had 600 plate appearances. And Tony Gwynn had 600 plate appearances. And the, between the both of us, we probably had 46 strikeouts total. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Tony Gwynn had, like, like, I think Tony Gwynn had, like, 16 strikeouts or something like that at 40. See, I know I was rapping there, but that's what drives me crazy about today's game. You know, people could strike out left and right. And, oh, it's no big deal. But when you all were were, were banging and, and you were striking out, I mean, the strikeout was much more uh, negative when you were playing, Gary, than, right. than it is now. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it right. drives me up a freaking wall. And and out of the, 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 out of the guys who have 500 or more uh, career home runs, get this, Nelly, Chef has the fourth least strikeouts. He's in the yeah. top five in strikeouts when you have 500 home and runs. And with so. all your bat movement, that's even extra. Because, listen, all of us copied your swing, Chef, on the we Wiffle tried. Ball Field no, in Little tried. League. We all tried. We did the formation. We tried the, the swing into the bat, and we could, we would strike out a lot more than you did. So that makes it more impressive. <laughs> I just I just, I just, just thought that was a cool thing and a good way to end it. Talk about Tony Gwynn on top of it and then throwing that in there just like man these guys strike out 40 times in a week <laughs> oh yeah you know what it's I mean? like geez. it's the truth it's the truth it's you know what do you know do you know just so we know because i want to watch this where's that tony gwynn documentary gonna air do you know actually it's a surprise to everybody and when she called me you guys you guys reach out to me every night and i'll update you because they don't want anybody to know this thing's supposed to be. You know what's so crazy, Nelly? You you play when you play this game. You don't realize how a fraternity it really. I mean, and I, well, at least I didn't. I, I can say for me. And when I talk about players, and I talk about when people talk about players, and they don't get them, they they just do. I, I take that personal. You know what I mean? That's like right. it, man, Nelly was just like this this picture. I take it personal because I know you was good. And I knew you was like, I mean, you was the best at what you did. And so when people don't acknowledge that, that that bothers me, man. It's like, you don't want to give a guy his death due. What about when he was in the middle of doing it? When he was in the middle of doing it, Joe Torrey had no problem going in that bullpen and handing that ball to him because he couldn't wait to give it to him because he knew that lead was protected. And so when you talk about other players, man, I got it. I had all kinds of emotions going on during that interview man i was i was up i was crying i was laughing i was everything it's crazy well we can't wait we gotta, i can't wait to see it, it either you're right yeah, well, dropping the you're exclusive right. here on pinstripe pod a tony gwynn documentary <laughs> i'm excited for that you, wow. got, you gotta see it man it, it's gonna be crazy chef we we really appreciate the time it was a pleasure thanks a lot brother we appreciate absolutely, it. absolutely man thanks I, chef I so we're gonna get we gotta get out and play golf man Absolutely, man. You get my number, man. I think you got my number. Just call me, man, and, and let's go do it, man. Anytime.
That seals the deal on episode 37, the Casey Stengel edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Pinstripe Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, if you would. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll return next Monday and every Monday in March. Stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.